Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. Today, the president of Ipsos Public Affairs, Daryl Bricker, on the election. Lane Higgs, the premier of New Brunswick, will look at the election and what we may be facing going down the road. Dr. Sandy Buckman of the Canadian Medical Association, because Canadians have said healthcare is the number one issue. Adrian Sutherland, First Nations musician, has just released a new song called Politician Man. We'll talk to Adrian, who's also a lifelong resident of Attawapiskat. And Beauties of the Beast with Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale, and former Liberal MP Michelle Simpson on the boat on Monday. All right, so we've spent a lot of time with Daryl Bricker and with Sean Simpson from uh, Ipsos Public Affairs on the uh, national election polling. And the uh, president and CEO of Globe, of uh, Ipsos uh, joins us again, Daryl Bricker. And Ipsos has done a tremendous amount of polling, great polling for Global News. So, Daryl, here we are. We're that's, uh, proverbial 48 hours away from Canadians lining up to vote. And then hours later, we're, we're into the coffee as, as we wait probably quite late for the election results. I'm suspecting that'll happen. I guess I should start there. Is this going to be the election night where we have to wait for results coming in from British Columbia? Yeah, I think it might be. I mean, everything that we're showing shows it's a very, very close election. Now, the one thing that we also know, though, Roy, is that about 10% of the people who vote on election day, and that's of the people who haven't pre-voted, 10% of the people who vote on election day actually make up their mind when they're, they're doing the act of voting. Uh, so, it, you know, there's a lot that could change between now and uh, and uh, the end of the uh, the evening on Monday. So what is the undecided number at this point? And does the undecided number, does it, oh, okay, does it have the, does it have the, uh, given what you know about the breakout of uh, of support, does it have the, the potential power to, to shift an election to, from, to some, make someone a winner and someone a loser? It absolutely does. And, and the reason that it does is because this election is so close. Um, there are parts of the country in which it's not close. So, for example, in, uh, in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, the election is not close. But in every other place it is. Now, it's different parties that are, uh, that are at, the top of the, uh, at the top of voter preference, but it's tight elections everywhere else. Uh, I saw a poll that uh, Ipsos did for Global News and shows, I think it's 40% of Canadians prefer majority governments. Would you speak to that, please? Yeah, 40% prefer a majority. I think Actually, I think it's a bit higher. I think it's 60% prefer a majority and 40% prefer a minority. But of the people who prefer a majority, um, it tends to be more conservative than it is liberal right now. Uh, but for a minority government, people prefer uh, people who prefer a minority government prefer that it be a liberal minority government. Okay, trust me to, to in, invert the numbers. Um now, another poll shows, and I'm just looking at the headline here, Tories viewed as most likely to keep promises, but voters remain cynical. Uh, probably should say, we, I think we said cynical, but probably should have said skeptical. Uh, cynical. cynical implies that uh, they, you know, they just, uh, what did Oscar Wilde say, you know, the price of everything and the value of nothing. But uh, I, I think that uh, they're very skeptical about campaign promises, which, by the way, Roy, is really uh, indicative of what's happening in this campaign which is that uh, public policy promises don't really seem to be driving vote at this time. I mean, there's been a boatload of different proposals that have come from the various uh, parties to try and buy our vote. And 
you would, uh, based on what we're seeing, uh, the reason that they're really not having much of an impact is because people don't believe that the parties are necessarily going to be delivering on these things. Uh, but what they are really looking at is the character of the leaders right now. And so this election election is being driven more by that than anything else. So given that, and given the troubles Mr. Trudeau has had, you'd almost expect him to be struggling more than he is, or appears to be. Right. And so what we're seeing is that people are looking at the next most obvious uh, uh, prime minister of the country, and they're finding him wanting as well. So disappointed with Trudeau, not convinced by Andrew Scheer. And that's why you're seeing movement for minor parties being the biggest dynamic of the campaign. So the rise of the Bloc Québécois in the province of Quebec, who are going to do very well on election night, that to me is one of the most fundamental stories about this campaign. And then the rise of Jagmeet Singh, not so much that he's um, you know been a game changer in the campaign, but he has been influential in the sense that what he's doing is he's he's splitting up the progressive vote for the Liberals. So both of those events have really made it more difficult for the Liberal Party to get elected. It's not that the, the voters are going toward the Conservative Party. They're almost about where they were in the last election campaign. It's that the progressive vote has somewhat collapsed into a series of different choices. So would it be fair to say that we are seeing a more active and more engaged Canadian electorate this time around? No, I don't think it is. Uh, you know, what we can see at the end of the election, uh, you know, on, on the end of Monday night, we'll see what the overall turnout is. My suspicion is it will be lower than it was in 2015. So the trend for Canadian uh, voting uh, since in this century, so since 2004, which was the first election of the century, um, 2004, 6, 8, 11, 15, four of those five until 2015, turnout was around 60%. 2015, it went up to 68. So our expectation is it'll probably be somewhere between 60 and 68, probably lower than the 68, which would mean that Canadians are actually less engaged in this election. Mm-hmm. Um, Daryl, what about the issues that have really resonated with or with Canadians? Uh, which ones have, have really hit the mark and which ones that we expected to really resonate maybe have not done so much? Well, the interesting thing is that basically the issues haven't resonated that much. I mean, so people tell us on surveys the number one issue facing the country today is health care. You've heard precious little talk about health care. Then they tell us climate change is really, really important. But then the Green Party is far ahead of the other parties in terms of the party best suited to manage the climate change issue. And they're running in fourth place and falling in most in, in most jurisdictions. Uh, then we get on to taxes and the economy. And the Conservatives do really, really well on those issues. Uh, then you would expect that they would really be dominating in the election, and they're not. And the reason is because these issues are not what people are looking at necessarily. They're looking at the leaders, and they're saying, which one would be the best prime minister? And they find them wanting. Um, How might minority coalitions affect the mood in different regions of Canada? Let me go back to a question I've been asking for the last few days. Let's say the Liberals have fewer seats than the Conservatives, but form a coalition with the NDP and the Greens to create a minority government. How does that play in different parts of Canada? Let's start with the Prairie Provinces. They go wild. Particularly if, you know, depending on the number of seats that the Conservatives have won by, uh, if the Liberals do that, uh, and the price particularly for doing that is doing things that are going to hurt the oil and gas industry, the Prairies, especially Alberta, go wild. If you're a voter that lives anywhere between Toronto in Vancouver right now, uh, you're really unhappy with how this election has gone uh, because 
basically have everybody other than the Conservative Party speaking about uh, against your industry, against the thing that's the primary driver of your um, of your economy. So we are going to have, if that happens, a national unity, a serious national unity problem involving Western Canada. And of course, you're looking at. I don't want to hear that, but it's. I, I suspect you're absolutely 100% correct. But we also have the the increasing popularity of the Bloc in Quebec, and we know what they want. Well, it's very interesting the Bloc this time, and I'm glad you raised this because the, the character of the way they've been campaigning has been different from the way that the Bloc Québécois under Gilles Duceppe used to campaign, and certainly under Lucien Bouchard. And those were part of the sovereignty project. So the Bloc Québécois was the federal version of the Parti Québécois. Uh, sovereignty uh, and, and another referendum was primary on their agenda. This Bloc Québécois doesn't seem to be speaking that way. It really seems to be more about um, not so much nationalism, but mm-hmm. individualism. All right. The idea, the idea that what they want to do is protect uh, France, uh, Quebec's unique, unique culture, particularly when it comes to things like, for example, Bill C-21. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of controversy about that, obviously. Daryl, I appreciate the time today. I always appreciate speaking with you, and we'll, uh, we'll do so again tomorrow. And who knows what will be in the mix by tomorrow. Oh, it's a funny time, where I look forward to talking to you. Thank you. Daryl Bricker is the president and uh, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs and also the, uh, the co-author of The Big Shift about changes in Canadian politics and Empty Planet. Let's talk to the Premier of New Brunswick. Premier Blaine Higgs joins us. Premier, thank you for calling in. You're very welcome. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. We have about three minutes here, so let me ask you a number of questions. Last time in 2015, Atlantic Canada uh, voted across the board uh, red, liberals, 30 zip. What are you expecting this time around? Well, we're certainly not expecting that. Um, we would, we would, we were expecting a, a split, really, and, and uh, and uh, I would say any ranging between four and six seats. And and one of the issues that are particularly moving Atlantic Canadians. What what's what's the focus in the, in the Atlantic Canada Canadian provinces? Well, I mean, I think in in relation to the the carbon tax is a big issue here. As you know, the federal government downloaded the backstop on us, and we put forward a carbon plan that meets and exceeds our emission targets. Uh, it's a, it's a plan that the emitters pay. And um, we we are a rural province, and and Atlantic Canada obviously is is much rural. Uh, we don't have transit systems, so having a situation where we're going to pay more for fuel to to get around because we don't have those options, um, you know, we see the ta- the carbon tax is just an open ended uh, revenue stream for our federal government to to just keep adding on, adding on, and people believing that oh well, I'll just pay more in carbon tax because that'll that'll be an environmentally proper thing to do when really meeting their emissions and their targets is an environmental proper thing to do. Would you see the potential of a, of a minority government that is led by the Liberals, uh, and maybe with a Deputy Prime Minister Singh um, on, on, you know, on the same side of the House with the Liberals, would you see that as, as a likelihood for an even greater acceleration of the carbon tax? Oh, uh, acceleration of the carbon tax and the cost and destruction of our, our economic, uh, our economy. I mean, it, it's it's interesting to me that the the, the the media don't really question where where is this money coming from? You know, how how are we going to continue to manage an economy that was resource based as we transition to a greener economy? And and no one seems to question. You know, I say no one. Basically, there isn't a a, a question about how where we're going to end up. And when I asked that question the other day, the answer I got was, oh well, uh, they're not planning to bounce a budget. They never said they'd bounce a budget. 
and and so it's like we don't we're no, we don't worry about that. We're just they're just going to spend whatever they want to spend. Yeah, Premier, I've been saying on the air for quite some time and and in conversation, we have no wiggle room. We can't go spending billions and billions of dollars that we don't have because we're already in massive debt. The provinces are in debt and consumers are in debt. And that's exactly where, where we are in New Brunswick and is that we have no room to maneuver. And, you know, when you listen to some of the forecasts, the economic forecasts, and I met with a number of economists just, just today, right, actually, and, and uh, went through a kind of New Brunswick situation, we don't have tax room here, and, you know, the indications are um, recession, there's there's potential. And, and the reason I say that, there's an inversion right now. And, you know, you'll see mortgages, like a five-year mortgage, where the rate is actually um, more expensive than a variable rate for, for a 60-day or, or, or six months or one year, which is just the opposite of what it normally is. Mm-hmm. Premier Higgs, I appreciate the time. Thank you for talking to us again. Well, you're very welcome. Have a, have, a great, uh, have a great day. Thank you. You too. The Premier of New Brunswick, Lane Higgs, he's also the man who told us, as I said, men, or mentioned earlier, two days before Christmas last year, that in Canada we have to decide whether this country is a nation or a notion. Dr. Sandy Buckman is the president of the Canadian Medical Association. We've spoken with Dr. Buckman twice during this election campaign. Healthcare is still the number one issue for Canadians. Um, come Monday, we'll see what happens. Dr. Buckman, thank you for coming back to the show. Well, thanks for having me again, Roy. What uh, we started, you and I started talking about the campaign and healthcare being number one weeks ago. If we fast forward to today, how satisfied are you with what has been committed to and what is realizable, if I can make up a word, as far as the commitments are concerned? Do you get a sense that healthcare has been properly addressed by the various campaigns? Well, it's a great question. I um, I see, you know, as we're doing our polling and as we watch the, the media, that healthcare certainly has risen again and more prominently as a major concern for Canadians. That's coming out all over the place. So we were disappointed, for example, uh, during the debates when they weren't included as a as one of the main topics. But we're seeing it come up right now. What I I guess I have some concerns about is that we haven't really seen the details from any party with regards to how they are going to address the health care concerns of Canadians. They, they may say they address them. They'll talk about pharmacare. Uh, they'll talk about uh, improving access to primary care, family doctors, etc. But we, the devil's in the details, and I don't really think we have a good appreciation of those details yet. Now, my sense was that it was almost as though the leaders had been given talking points on health care and repeated what they were told to, to say, and I didn't hear the conviction behind their words. But let's look at the two issues that you just raised, and we know that number one concern in this country should be that five million people have no family physician, have no primary physician. And then there's the issue of national pharmacare. As I said earlier, many people not getting their prescriptions filled because they don't have the money to do it. So would you tell us again what the CMA's position, the Canadian Medical Association's position is, and call on whoever forms the government on how to deal the, uh, with the fact that 5 million have no doctor and that pharmacare is a must, some kind of pharmacare? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the data that we base our recommendations on has been accumulated over, uh, over the last year. We've been listening to Canadians. We've been polling members. We've been uh, doing our research. And, uh, and 
as you mentioned, you know, nearly 5 million Canadians don't have a family doctor or access, and this is what we hear most about. So we have, along with uh, other organizations such as the Canadian Association of Social Workers, the Canadian Nurses Association, and the College of Family Physicians of Canada, we've recommended that the, uh, the federal government uh, assume its responsibility in a shared um, in a shared system, a shared funding system, to fund a primary care transition fund of up to $1.2 billion to improve access to, far- to primary care. Now, this would include, uh, we hope ultimately, training more family doctors and other primary care providers, focus on what we call a patient medical home model, which is interprofessional team. Each Canadian having access to a home of interprofessional providers where they can access their primary care and access sort of the, we're calling the medical home neighborhood, other specialists, community services, et cetera, uh, in a very quick and efficient way. So we're looking for uh, uh, improved training um, within with of family doctors, of course, and other uh, health care providers. So we see... Uh, uh, a fund that can do this. It's based on the uh, original primary care transition fund from the early 2000s, uh, where approximately 800,000 was transferred, and that 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 led to significant improved delivery models in Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec. And we want to see that uh, scaled up now. In inflationary terms, it's 1.2 billion now. We want to see that scaled up across the country. Mm-hmm. There's a statistic I heard, um, probably goes back about three, maybe four years that I've never forgotten, and it came from someone in your organization, in the Canadian Medical Association, that was the general practitioners, family doctors, are retiring at a rapid pace, maybe more so than the rest of the population. Is that still happening? And if it is, that's going to be significantly impacting. So... Um, I couldn't comment on current data right now about the number of family doctors that are retiring. But I will tell you that what we hear is that to remain uh, in the discipline is not sustainable. Um, One aspect that obviously hasn't come out in the election but probably should is uh, is the burnout that physicians in all specialties, but including family medicine, are experiencing. In other words, that the uh, volume overload, the work overload, when so many Canadians can't access care, and these doctors are trying to uh, these doctors are trying to work work all the time. They're mm-hmm. working far overtime. They're working, you know, excessive number of hours a week. They're doing on call, and they're burning out. They're trying to meet their patients' needs and bring in whoever they can. We're also having. Uh, more difficulty for places where there's an extreme shortage, such as rural and remote Canada. And when we get such work overload and and time pressures, this kind of practice isn't sustainable. So uh, we're having difficulty, more difficulty sometimes recruiting uh, students into the discipline. And as a result, that contributes to the shortage. And then when physicians leave practice earlier because of burnout issues, we're also seeing an increasing shortage, or they're moving south or to other other jurisdictions okay. where they may not have to be so overworked. Dr. Buckman, thank you very much for the time. I hope you get a family doctor. You told us last time that you're losing losing yours. We, everybody <laughs> has to have access to a family doctor. That's fundamental to the delivery of health care. Good talking to you again, and I'm sure we'll have more to talk about after the election. Thank you for the time. Thanks again. Dr. Sandy Buckman is the president of the Canadian Medical Association. I said earlier, and I'm sure many people feel this way, 
that come Monday night, depending on what happens with the vote, Tuesday and next week and the weeks and the months to come could be more involving, more emotional, more controversial than the past weeks of the election campaign. And that all depends on how the government turns out. And we'll get into more of that as we go through the weekend. But one of the considerations, one of the issues, one of the important issues is First Nations. Because we can't have situations where residents in First Nations communities live in fourth world realities, like unsafe drinking water. Adrian Sutherland is the front man for Midnight Shine, a First Nations band. And we've talked to Adrian in the past. We played music by Midnight Shine. But Adrian also released, just a couple of days ago, his first single, his first solo, uh, called Politician Man. So I want to play you a little bit of the song, and then we'll talk to Adrian about the song, why he wrote it, and what some of the issues are for First Nations. Adrian, again, lives in Ottawa-Piscat. Here's a little bit of Politician Man, just released a couple of days ago by Adrian Sutherland. Hey, Mr. Politician Man, what you done for me lately? So you're getting better all the time. Adrian? Yes. You're getting better all the time, my friend. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Sounds great. Just a terrific sound. In fact, 24-year-old sitting on the other side of the glass for me said, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a pretty catchy song. And it uh, is. So, really... hey, Mr. Politician Man, what's the inspiration for the song? Well, there's a lot of things. I think that in the general sort of... Um, uh, view is um, the relationship that you know Indigenous Canadians have had with the country, Canada, and the government. I think that's the real, the bigger picture. But the some of the smaller issues that really triggered the song were things like the water, um, the water challenges we have in a lot of Indigenous communities across the country. And this is kind of where this song was, um, uh, the idea came came from. It really is, and you and I have talked about this, about the reality in, in Atawapiskat, your community, and I've spoken with other First Nations uh, community members in, in, in other communities like Grassy Narrows. It's stunning that we still have this going on in this country, that you have communities, actual communities of people in Canada living in fourth world conditions with un, not only unsafe drinking water, but dangerous drinking water, and just absolutely unacceptable living conditions. Um, so you write the song, the message is strong. Do you think, do you have any hope that, that, the, the, that the politicians and the political parties are paying attention? 
Well, I'm pretty sure they're paying attention. I'm sure their people, their communications people are picking up on it. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that they uh, are aware of it. And my whole uh, goal was to try and, again, make sure that these issues are continuing to be uh, addressed and continuing to be, to remain in, in, in the forefront. Uh, you know, I think as as an individual and as a Canadian and as an artist, particularly an ind- Indigenous person, I I feel like I have a role to play in, in trying to, you know, make sure that we're not forgotten about and some of these promises that were made to address the water go go back decades and and it's just not one party, it's 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 several parties obviously over the years and of course not only the federal writing, provincial writing, but we also have to take responsibility in our own local chief and councils and really really find ways to address these issues because a lot of these issues to me from what i understand are actually quite fixable and uh, for whatever reason they just don't get fixed mm-hmm. must have been an emotional experience to to sing the song writing it i'm sure it was as well but when you're actually putting together the song and and singing the song and, and doing all the mixing and and the producing that must have been an emotional ride for you yeah of course uh when you're when you're writing it it's one thing but then when you start to sing and and record and try to deliver the vocal performance um <clears throat> i think when you listen to the vocals it sounds a little a little bit urgent or there's 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 some uh, urgency to the to the way i'm singing the song and a little bit of attitude as well and the music itself too is is sort of rebellious and outlawish kind of that guitar that comes in at first um and we 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 meant for that to happen uh, and of course we wanted to also allow there's a moment where we're 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 singing we need to listen we need to change we're sick and tired of the same old games i think that relates to everyone no matter where you come from um and that we all need to work together and and find ways to to coexist you know in harmony um i know that's pretty naive when i say har- in harmony but i think there's there there are opportunities for us to you know, to work towards a better country, a better Canada. You know, uh, it's interesting you say that because as I was listening to the song, and I listened to it several times, it made me think of the 1960s. Now I was very young in the 60s, but young enough, old enough to know, to listen to the music and understand what was going on musically. And it brought back memories of, I don't want to say protest songs, but it was like, an information song. This, this is this is what's going on. This is what's required. This is how we reach the younger generation. This is how we spread the message of what's necessary. That's what I got out of the song, apart from liking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad it's reaching people and it's having an effect on people and, and getting people thinking and talking about stuff again. I think that's that's that was our goal is to again keep the conversation going. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of us feel like reconciliation really has gone sideways in the last little bit, and we want to make sure that it continues to stay on track. Um, we know it's been a treacherous journey so far, um, and it's going to continue to be a difficult one. Um, but I know, you know, if people are willing and just really set aside some of their fears and anxieties and, and ignorance, that we can all, you know, sit down and start having these conversations and really, truly try to understand each other more. 
You know, very eloquent uh, spokesman. You should think about politics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe I, I'm quite serious. I think I think you should think about it. You know, and enjoy the musical career, but 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 think about that because uh, and we have about a minute left here. But you know, as I'm talking to you, here we are into October, and I'm thinking about what the uh, your neighbors and your friends and your family in Ottawapiskat are facing going forward in the year. Uh, the cold weather is coming. They still have those terrible living conditions. Uh, the water isn't safe. And there's still a problem, a real concern about the well-being of kids. It's not allowed to continue. It just can't have it continue. Right? I, I mean, yeah. I don't need to tell you that. Yeah, that's correct. And I think we have a lot of work to do in our community. And we all know this. And I think there seems to be more of a, like a sense of urgency now in our community to really try to set aside all, all our differences too that we have because every community is the same no matter where you come from and 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 i think i'm happy to say uh we're i think we're starting to slowly move into that right direction mm-hmm. okay so uh in uh, just a couple of seconds where can uh, my listeners find your song where we can find a song yeah yeah, you can find it on YouTube. Um, if you search uh, Midnight Shine uh, um, websites, you'll find the song there. You'll you'll find it on every other platform as well. Uh, it's just being distributed now. So search for the song Politician Man and, and you should be able to find it. All right. Congratulations. Well done. And uh, good talking to you again. All the best. Thanks very much for having me, Roy. All the best. Uh, it's the Green Show on the Corus Radio Network. It's time for Beauties on the Beast, and let's bring our friends in here. Catherine Swift, WorkingCanadians.ca, former CEO and president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, uh, declared not so long ago, Canada's most powerful woman. How are you? Worried, Roy. I'm worried for my wonderful Canada. <laughs> Let me uh, find out in a second why you're worried and... And say hello to Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament, um, who's, who sat with Justin Trudeau, as you know by now, listening to this program, was a seatmate uh, in question period. How are you, Michelle? I'm with Catherine. I'm worried because I don't know how this election is going to go. And Linda Leatherdale, Vice President, Cambria, Canada, former money editor of the Toronto Sun. Uh, one of the most socially involved people I know. We were together on many, many efforts to help people who needed help, and Linda was almost the first one in line to do that. Uh, how are you doing, Linda? Hey, Roy, I'm great, and I have to say, I'm like the other beauties. We're all worried here. <laughs> so let's start with why we're worried. And Catherine, you uh, you said it first, so why are you worried? Well, I, it appears at the moment, and I guess anything's possible, but it appears that we're going to have some kind of unholy alliance between uh, a minority liberal government and uh, whether it's NDP, it looks at the moment like it was going to be an NDP uh, coalition where we've got the NDP is categorically declaring uh, that they're going to ruin a major source of uh, prosperity for Canada with seemingly zero plan to to, uh, figure out what replaces it. Um, the, Trudeau himself has been a disaster. He's been far to the left. I mean, I know many liberal MPs. Of course, we have one right with us today in Michelle, but I know quite a number who 
have said time and again, this is not the Liberal Party we knew. He has taken it far, far to the left. Yeah. And if we introduce um, a, a neophyte NDP player into the mix here, who has said so many irresponsible things, okay. most recently, you know, that he has no respect for conservatives. Basically, and I know he did apologize, but come on, to even say something that stupid mm-hmm. bears, uh, just begs yeah. the question. All right, so I, why, while you were speaking, Catherine, I hear Michelle agreeing with you, saying, yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. yep. <laughs> I'm so, 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 Michelle, and, you know, Michelle you're, the, you're the lifelong liberal. Not anymore, because things have changed. The landscape, and I cannot stand the fact that there could be a liberal, and my husband, who's a lifelong liberal, he said, if the liberal government hooks up with the NDP to prop them up, he said, I'd rather see Andrew Scheer win a majority. Your husband said that? Your husband said that? Yes. Wow. Yes. And he's a lifelong liberal. Yeah, I mean, I know. he worked hard for me. But it's, it, Roy, it's ridiculous now. So, uh, Linda, your thoughts. Well, here you go. We just heard from another liberal, actually, one that I quite love, Dan McTagg. Here he said the same thing. Yeah, he was on and about half an hour the, ago. He took the words out of my mouth, which we've been saying on your show in the recent weeks. They have lost sight of the economy, fiscal responsibility. I can't believe Matega is going to vote for Andrew Scheer because there we might have some hope. But let's think about it. If it does a coalition between the Liberals and the NDP, we're sunk. And I love that. that is, is Canada a nation or a notion? Well, yeah. we're going to be a notion. When Alberta decides to separate, well, we've had that conversation that earlier. You know, we had that. Con- let me let me just ask you this: We had the conversation earlier about what might happen uh, in Alberta. I spoke to Daniel Smith about it. Um, I, I spoke with uh, Professor Dwayne Brad from Mount Royal University, political science professor, about it. Daryl Bricker from Ipsos about it. But let, let me ask you this question: You're you're all obviously deeply concerned, and you've expressed the concern. But if that is what Canadians vote for. Is that not what we should be living? That's part part one. Is that not what we should be trying to live with? And then part two of this question is this. How much is res- the responsibility of the Conservatives and Mr. Scheer and their campaign? And he'll be my first guest tomorrow. Catherine, let me start with you again. Well, it's, if, as they say, the voters always right. Of course, history would suggest that often they aren't <laughs> in terms of actually voting in the best interests of the country. Um, and, and yes, I do think uh, there's no question the Conservatives have, uh, in my view, they could have done more, I think, in their campaign. But that being said, Roy, it, 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 I have never seen uh, such a coalition of rogues, whether it be the unions, which, by the way, has already been proven to have spent way, 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 way more money than anybody else. Yeah. And, of course, when the unions are overly influential with any government, the majority of Canadians lose so people that think the unions help them, unless they're a union member, which, of course, is a shrinking, a very shrinking group, uh, you know, they're, they're just dead wrong. We've also seen media, you know, who are on the take now from taxpayers, disgracefully so, uh, horribly biased. The CBC has been, I mean, they were never a balanced uh, outlet, but they've been unbelievably outrageous. And as a taxpayer, I find that highly offensive. So I, although, yes, I do tend to think 
Uh, the conservative campaign could have done more. You also have to realize they had all these other players with mega, mega, mega bucks stacked against them, lying, cheating, doing anything they could to have n- anybody okay. but a conservative okay. government. And shame so, on them all for so that. So I have to... I have That's to, I have to I'm, Canadians. Catherine, I have to, I have to say this. Um, when I look at media reporting, and some of it I've been very critical of, other media reporting I think has been fair because there have been stories that have been seemed to lean toward Trudeau, and then there have been stories that have been seemed to lean toward Scheer, and stories that seem to lean toward Singh. So um, I think in in many cases it balances out. Not in all cases, but in many cases, I, at least I hope it balances out. Um, so same question. I'm I'm going to ask you all the same questions, Michelle. I have the. Oh no, I have to ask this question, Michelle. If you feel the way you do, since you feel the way you do, since Stan McTagg feels the way he does, both of you are going to vote conservative and for sheer. And I would imagine that other liberals are going to, because uh, uh, you've told me you know some who will. What's the feeling inside the Liberal Party, at the very top of the party, uh, if they're looking at this election now and they say, okay, minority government is possible, uh, Trudeau could form an alliance with Singh and with May, and and have a minority government uh, in governing Canada, which would drive uh, Alberta and, and 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 other provinces and, and Western Canadians mad. Uh, are, are they comfortable with this, or are, are, are people inside the hierarchy of the Liberal Party saying this is this will be to our eventual ruin? No, I agree with you, Roy. That it will be the beginning of the end. It's so what almost, are they doing about it? What do you, what do you suspect they might be doing about it? Um, I think they're running scared. It was like when Dion and Jack Layton and the block had that. I, I thought it was mm-hmm. the most ridiculous. You know, they had a, a conference, a news conference. Yeah, I remember that. And, you know, they were signing... And so, but wait, let, so let me bring you back. Let me bring you back to to, to, to this one because we only have a little bit of time, and I, I want yeah. to hear from you. What do you suppose is happening within the upper echelons of the Liberal Party now? Are they comfortable with the notion of a minority government with that that is cobbled together by by Trudeau and his his group, and that involves Deputy Prime Minister Singh and I don't know what for the for the Green Party? Not a chance. Okay, but also they're they like any political party. They're, you know they're desperate to hold into power, onto power, and they'll do what they need to do. Yeah. So, so Catherine, you know the insides of Ottawa better yeah. than most. So, your feeling is that those who are in the, in the the hierarchy of the Liberal Party are saying, "Come away, may we want to stay in power?" Yeah, totally. Right. Uh, and and again, I don't. Uh, that's that's the main raison d'etre for any political party. But yeah. I mean, and Michelle mentioned the block too. But you, but you want to, don't you, yeah. don't you want to be looking down the road a little bit, Linda? What about looking down the road and saying, okay, so we may be in power for eighteen months or two years if there's a minority government, but but if we piss off uh, much of the Western, excuse me, but I, I'm getting angry. <laughs> if, if, if we, I'm trying to keep myself in check. <laughs> Not doing so well at this moment, but but if we upset and anger uh, a good part of the country, that's going to come back and bite us in the ankle um, in two years' time. Worse than the ankle, right? Well, oh, yeah. I, 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 higher, I'm... higher. <laughs> yeah. Well, but absolutely, you're right, Roy. It does, and and I just want to go back to your comment about the voters are always right. Here's my concern: I think voter turnout 
might even be lower. We seem to be more engaged, and everybody's watching this. But let's look at it. Over time, majority governments and led by strong leaders, it's a dictatorship. They fire the people that don't toe the line, and people are cynical now. So I really feel that it may not be the true representation of the voter because the voter is so disillusioned. Uh, But you know what, Linda? You have a responsibility, and if you have a chance to make a difference and if you're afraid of what may happen and you have an opportunity to maybe influence it the other way, then get out and vote. And if you don't, then you're responsible for what took place. Exactly, Roy, and that has to get out and vote. It's so important. Okay, hold on, beauties. Let's all take a breath of whatever (laughs) airs around us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll come back and we'll talk more with Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale, Michelle Simpson, Beauties and the Beast. We're back with the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network with uh, Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale, Michelle Simpson, uh, Beauties and the Beast. Email from uh, Mary, no borders, taxes adding to globalists, control of media, control of provinces, control uh, getting ahead, open borders and overspending. So that's uh, one email. I'm just looking at... Uh, let me read you one more here. Uh, and this is interesting, given the, uh, the the tweet from Barack Obama. Has the screaming the last few years not been about foreign influence? But hey, it's Trudeau. The rules don't apply to him. I'm seeing a lot of this. I'm seeing a lot of this. So, the, so here's my question for the three of you. Um, aren't there people listening to this program now who are saying, okay, so you have four conservatives. And, Lynn, uh, and Michelle, welcome to the ranks. You have... <laughs> you, <laughs> You have four conservatives philosophically, uh, and and so you're worried about the country going forward under the scenarios that you painted. But we're ex- we're we're exhilarated by it because Jagmeet Singh has said we're with you and uh, we're going to make the super rich pay. Let me start with Linda on this one. You're going to make the super rich pay. Good luck. <laughs> You know what? <clears throat> At the end of the day, we know that there would be underneath him higher taxes, and we know who will be footing the bill for that. Mm-hmm. And it will be the middle class. We always do. Mm-hmm. So, and I love this. I'm going to. Everybody's saying we're going to make you better off. We're going to make you richer. Well, we're spending all of our money is going to make us poorer in the end. Our economy is going to go down, and we'll have higher taxes. Yep, Catherine. Well, from an economic standpoint, uh, there has never been in the history of the world a successful strategy based on, uh, you know, taxing the rich. Uh, As Linda said, it always ends up the middle class get the the big tax hikes. And uh, I am quite amazed at the rush of support for the NDP. And I think that reflects a failure, by the way, on both the conservatives and the liberals' parts. People are looking for an option here. And I, it makes me think of in the last Ontario election last year, there was a surge for the NDP. But that happened a, a few weeks before the election. And then people got to see all the extreme, frankly, looney tunes that were running as candidates for the NDP. And they got turned right off and, and things switched. We don't have enough time now, but I can assure you there's quite a lot of similar loonies running for the federal NDP, too, that a lot of people might go, ooh, maybe I better not park my vote there. So it, it's, it's, whenever you get a surge like that in such a short period of time, it's worth thinking about why it's really happening. You know, you know again, I think, I think, I think it's one because of, people are saying, let's find an Catherine, option. I think one of the reasons that uh, there's this surge for the NDP is that recent in the last few weeks, Jagmeet Singh has sounded like a real person. Yeah, yeah. That's and, the, and the others don't sound like real people. 
but don't forget also when you have no chance of ending up in power. No, no, I know, I know, but not, but, but it doesn't. But that does, he can hope to be. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I'm playing maker. devil. I'm playing devil's advocate here. That yeah, doesn't that doesn't stop Mr. Trudeau or stop Mr. Singh from or Mr. Shear from saying, "Hey, look what's happening with them." Uh, you know, Singh is starting to sound like. You know, the person who lives next door to you. Maybe I better do that too. And the and the and the and the handler is saying, "No, here you're talking points. Go out and repeat this." M- Michelle, is that what goes on? Uh yes, absolutely. And uh, you know, I think that Jagmeet uh, is going to be a bit, a, a bit of a spoiler. He's a likable guy. Uh, all all, no. all, all, all of your concerns aside, he's personally he's a likable guy. Yeah, and that's what that's what guy, that's what's appealing to a lot of people. Like policy. No, no, but don't you think that's uh, that is what's appealing to people? They're not even listening to maybe they're not listening that closely to the NDP policies and saying where's the money coming from. They're saying this guy's actually quite likable. No, I think you're absolutely right. Yep. Because I think he's likable. I do too. He was on the show last weekend, and I I, I went after him about uh, you know forming a, a coalition government, and he never lost his cool. He just stayed. The guy we've seen. He didn't stutter. He didn't stammer. He just was him. I wish the others did, too. <laughs> yeah, but if, if we have to look at the unity of the country, uh, the things he's talking about would be deadly. I know. And also deadly for the economy in general. Because, yep. again, the notion we're going to phase out our energy industry and, and, exactly. uh, and replace it within a, a period of a few years is total fantasy. And you cannot, Western alienation is not, uh, is not uh, uh, made up. And I think uh, it, was, uh, it was either Professor Pratt or Daryl Bricker who said, that, or maybe Daniel Smith, I, one of them said, the rest of the country doesn't understand what's going on in, in the hearts and minds and yep. the, in, in Alberta and the Western provinces. We don't get it. We don't understand. We don't know what they're about. We don't know what they're, what, what's going to happen if this scenario develops, the one we've no, been talking and about. That's part of the that's part of the serious worry. And the rise of the bloc again in Quebec, there's a real failure you can put at Trudeau's feet, you know, because he had a lot of support in Quebec. And his... You know, his inability to retain that means that you've got a separatist uh, once again rising in power, which is, again, worrisome for the country. Exactly. I guess I I shouldn't tell you this, that I'm going to be having a Parti Quebecois member on the show tomorrow. Actually, he's a good friend of mine, and he's a really nice guy. He's a former very staunch federalist who became a a Quebec sovereignist and is a sometime talk show host in, uh, in Montreal. So we're going to be speaking with him tomorrow about oh, what's I'm happening in Quebec. Listen. Yeah, we need to listen to this. That's in the first hour. Really, really nice guy. Really nice guy. I don't, I don't agree with him, obviously. On There's lots of very nice but, people that have incredibly wrong-headed ideas. It doesn't but, make them but, any less But nice, isn't that what we're getting back to? Is that any less wrong. <laughs> if, you, if, you're, if you sound like a real person, real people are going to gravitate to you. That's it. Yeah, there's truth to that. But again, we, we don't really need Mr. Nice Guy or whatever. I know. What we need are people that are going to bring the country together, uh, promote our prosperity, all of our prosperity, okay. not just, you know, interest groups and so on. And uh, that, that's, that's, the, that's all that we're And right here now. we are, beauties, full stop, end of segment. Thank you so much for your time. Aww. I'll be thinking about all three of you on Monday night. And we'll oh, good luck yeah, on Monday, okay. Canada. Okay, toodaloo. Toodaloo. À la prochaine. We, uh, Michelle Simpson, Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale on the Coros Radio Network. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. 
And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.